Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our gospel lesson today is short, but it has some elements that may cause confusion. For example, Jesus saying, I came to cast fire on the earth. But is that really Jesus who is saying that? Or do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Again, I'll ask, is that really Jesus who is saying this? If so, what does he mean by that? I thought he was the Prince of Peace, after all. Jesus is going to divide father and son, mother and daughter. He's going to break up families? That doesn't sound like Jesus. How can he say this? Well, if you're asking those questions, then stay tuned, because I think you will get a satisfactory answer. But first, I want to take a walk down memory lane and go back to my freshman year of high school in my literature class where we read excerpts from a famous sermon by Jonathan Edwards. The sermon is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Have you all read that? I mean, it used to be in the high school curriculum. I mean, we, we read it, and I, don't, I doubt that it is anymore. Um, I'm, I think there's a, a, I mean, there definitely is a push in the government-run schools to, to take, like, anything that might possibly be offensive and, and push that out, you know, so that we don't offend anybody. Um, well, that sermon certainly could offend some people. <laughs> but anyway, even though we had it in our, in our uh, class, I will tell you that um, it wasn't handled very well. Basically, we were taught that this was an example of fire and brimstone preaching, pronouncing the insatiable wrath of God. And that is a mischaracterization, mischaracterization because in truth, it is a sermon that rightfully teaches the wrath and anger of God. I mean, it really does. It's, if, um, and, it, and it also indicates, sort of not as strongly as I would like, but it indicates that the wrath and the anger of God is not insatiable, but in fact is satiated through God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ, his son. Now, I will criticize this sermon, okay, because it's so heavy in preaching hellfire and damnation, but it does not come through powerfully with the gospel like I would like it to. But nevertheless, let me read you a section. This is the one that, that, we all, that, that you always go to because you don't read the whole sermon, even though it's I mean, you can listen to it. I've listened to it recently on audio. It's like 45 minutes long. But I'm just going to read you a section from it. And you'll get the sense of why it's fire and brimstone. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand 
that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell the last night, that you was suffered to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell since you have sat here in the house of God, provoking his pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending his solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you should not do, why you do not this very moment drop down into hell. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. Well, okay, that sounds pretty harsh. But on the one hand, while it does sound harsh, on the other hand, um, there's truth in it. I mean, this, there is, hell is real. This is not some fanciful imagination. I know that that's uh, offensive to our modern sensibilities. We, we don't want God to be the wrathful God. We want him to be the life-affirming God, the one who affirms me in the life that, I, that I'm living, you know, doing my own thing and, you know, kind of like doing the best that I can sort of thing, and God affirms me in this life. I was, uh, as I was thinking about this yesterday, the image that popped in my mind was Stuart Smalley on Saturday Night Live. Has anyone ever seen that? He had a little, it was a little joke show that he had. It was called Daily Affirmations. And Stuart Smalley would look in the mirror. He was played by Al Franken. It was a really, really funny thing. But he'd look in the mirror and he'd say, I'm going to do a great show today because I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people really like me. And, and that was his daily affirmation. And then he would affirm his guests and, and stuff. Well, we have that image that that's who God is. You know, that God is just looking and affirming. Oh, he tried his best. He really did. And that whole concept, like, hits a brick wall when you come up against Jonathan Edwards saying, oh, no, 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 no. You're like a little spider that he's dangling over the pit of hell. Yet, he's the one holding you over it. He's the one stopping you from falling into it. Why is he stopping you from falling into it? Now, see, this is where he doesn't go far enough to say, because he loves you, because he's given you in Christ eternal life. So I will criticize him for not going that far. But this idea that, oh, I'm basically a a good person. Mm -mm. It's to just such a complacent attitude that the threat of hellfire sounds outlandish. No, no, no. Hell is only for like the really bad people like Saddam Hussein. Oh, really? Is that, is that who it's for? Oh, just only the really bad people. But see, if you have this idea of a, of a soft and affirming God, then okay, yeah, that's, that's all there is. You know, it's the, the hellfire, that just doesn't make sense. I mean, it's to the point now where some people... Some people have just tried to wipe out hell. Like, oh, no, hell doesn't exist. You know, it's kind of like we talked about this morning in our Bible study class. That's the God of the Old Testament, as though that's a different God somehow. No way. The point that Jonathan Edwards was making is that even 
these in his congregation, these well-mannered Puritans who were doing everything, these Puritan churchgoers doing everything just right, yeah, they were still sinful. And they were preserved only by God's grace. So Jesus said that he had come to cast fire on the earth. He has a baptism to receive, he says, which distresses him until it is accomplished. Of course, here he is referring to his crucifixion. He knows that he is to be baptized in his own blood. That's the baptism that he is talking about. While it's true that this brings peace to the believer, which it does, Christ does bring us peace. He brings us a peace that surpasses all understanding because it's a peace that I, sinner though I am, I am reconciled to God in spite of my sinfulness. All of that gets wiped away and I'm reconciled to God. That is a peace. That's a peace if you recognize that hell is a real place. Then this is a great peace that you have knowing that you're reconciled to God. However, at the same time, the believer possesses this uh, peace. Um, There's a dividing line, even to the point of dividing uh, the most intimate family, which he describes, five people, mother, father, son, daughter, and then the son is married and has a daughter-in-law, you know, who has come to live within this family. That's typical for that custom. Even this small family will be divided And divided on what? Divided on the central truth of Jesus Christ being crucified for our sins. Not everyone will accept this truth. God reaches out to us and he gives this to us, but not everyone will accept it. It's freely offered to all, but it is not accepted by all. And it is divisive. You know, oh, Jesus came to divide. Yeah, he did. He came to divide right from wrong, truth from error, Light from darkness? Yes, there is something divisive in this teaching. And this is, that's the division that Jesus is speaking of. Some people think that they have a plan for escaping hell by their own works. Some people even deny, as I said, that there even is a hell. And Jesus says, no. I I, Jesus, am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus says. We must not fail to read the season that we're in. This is the next subject, and it relates to it. It relates to this this concept. What season are we in? See, this is why I thought of Jonathan Edwards and thought of this famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, because we don't talk about hell a whole lot. Why would we? There's so many better things to talk about. Yeah, but when we, if, we don't, if we don't talk about it, then we are not paying attention to the season that we're in. And that's the problem. That's what Jesus is saying to them. You know, when he talks about to the crowds about the weather, you know, he gives them these, this picture that they would all understand. Even the person of the dullest mind would know that in Palestine, when the wind is coming from the west, there's rain coming. That's just the regular weather pattern. They all know it. And when the wind is coming from the south, that means there's a scorching heat wave that's headed your way. And he says, you know, you guys know how to read the weather, but you don't know how to read the signs 
of salvation. Because John the Baptist came preaching and teaching a forerunner. Elijah, if you will, Jesus said of John the Baptist. He came as a sign of what? Of the coming Messiah. Of God's promise being brought to fulfillment in Christ. And Jesus went out in Capernaum and he did miracles and signs and he showed them the signs. Now it's true to some, they said, let us see a sign. He said, I'm not going to give you a sign except the sign of Jonah. Of what was the sign of Jonah? Jonah the prophet was in the belly of a will for three days. Kind of like Jesus being the belly of the earth for three days. So that's what he was referring to. And of course, he also said, I'll give you a sign. Tear down this temple in three days, I'll rebuild it. It took a hundred years for our forefathers to build this temple. And you're going to build it and rebuild it in three days? Of course, he was talking about his earthly temple, his body. So he, he's given them signs. He's showing them and they can't read the weather report. So they don't know what's going on. And he's criticizing them for that. He's saying, pay attention to where you are. Brothers and sisters, you must also properly interpret the signs. Jesus is returning. That's what we confess in our creed. That's what the Bible teaches, that Jesus is returning in judgment. When? In the next hour? Tonight? Tomorrow? We don't know. But we can't grow complacent just because we don't know when he's returning. He's returning. It could be at any moment. So don't fail to read the signs and to be prepared and ready. Now is the time to prepare and be ready for Jesus to return. For you, for your neighbors, for your friends, for your loved ones, for anyone who does not have Jesus Christ. Now is the time. They need to have Jesus Christ because he's coming tonight or tomorrow or at some point that we don't know, but we don't know when it is. So we have to be ready. It's not God's desire to cast you or anyone into hell. This is an alien work of God's. This is a work that's required because of his holiness, but it's not something that he desires to do. The scripture tells us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient. Of course, I mean, I know he's patient because I've experienced his own patience. Besides it being taught plainly in God's word, I have experienced his patience in my life. And I know you have also. He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. Do you hear that? God says he's not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But see, we can't just wipe hell away. We can't just wipe it away and say, no, that doesn't exist. Don't worry. God's just going to look at all the good things that you did in your life. No, that's not how we are saved. You cannot be saved apart from Christ. It is in Christ that you are saved. It's in Christ that anyone who is saved is saved. And that's why the time is now to share that message of reconciliation with the people that you interact with on a daily basis. 
God's desire is to save you. And he has given Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, to be the substitutionary atonement for your sins. Jesus has paid the wages of sin. That's what he did on the cross. He paid the wages of your sin. And hell is real. Do not think that you or anyone else is free from the wrath of God if they depart from Christ. That's the dividing line. You depart from Christ, you are in peril. Come to Christ. In this sacrament right here, you receive the body and blood of Christ. You receive the forgiveness of sins. That's his promise. Come to the altar and receive Christ. Receive the forgiveness that he freely offers you. And be filled with that hope, with that joy, with that promise, and share that. Share it with others. Don't let them go off the cliff. Tell them. Peace which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.